All right, good morning. Welcome to Directional Bible Ministries, a teaching ministry that is called to encourage, disciple, and challenge the people of God. My name is Dwayne, and today is October the 4th, and um, we have been working our way through the book of Ephesians. Uh, last time we were together, uh, in session number 33, uh, we covered verses 19, 36, uh, down through 20, and verse number 28. So today... Uh, we're going to pick up in verse number verse number 29. So let's just uh, reacquaint ourselves with Lord. We are in the text. Paul has spent an uh, unusual amount of time, three years, three plus years in Ephesus, uh, ministering to the Ephesians. And um, now we find ourselves in chapter number 20. And Paul is calling the Ephesian elders together uh, to speak to them what appears to be one last time uh, in verse number 17. We'll just pick it up there for context. And let's go ahead and just say a word of prayer first, and then we'll get started. Father, we love you and do ask that you go before us today. Bless the reading of your word. Father, I just pray that you would open our eyes and to see our ears to hear and our hearts to understand the things that you have for us today. Father, be with uh, whatever is on each of our minds, the things that cause us not to sleep. Father, just pray that your will would be done in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, well, good morning. Um, chapter number 20, verse number 17, and then from Miletus, he sent to Ephesus and called the elders of the church. And when they were come to him, he said unto them, Ye know that from the first day that I came into Asia, after what manner I have been with you at all times, serving the Lord with all humility of mine and with many tears and temptations, which befell me by the lying and weight of the Jews, and how I kept back nothing that was profitable unto you, but have showed you and have taught you publicly and from house to house, testifying both to the Jews and also to the Greeks, and notice he's testifying repentance toward God and faith toward our Lord Jesus Christ. And behold, now, and now behold, I go bound in the Spirit into Jerusalem, not knowing the things that shall befall me there, save that the Holy Ghost witnesseth in every city, saying that bonds and afflictions await me, abide me. But none of these things move me, neither count I my life dear unto myself, so that I might finish my course with joy in the ministry which I have received of the Lord Jesus, which is to testify of the gospel of the grace of God. And now, behold, I know that ye all, among whom I have gone preaching the kingdom of God, shall see my face no more. Um, and again, he's addressing uh, the Ephesian church was a predominantly Jewish church, um, and he says, I know that, you know, I've been here preaching the kingdom of God to you you guys, and you will see my face no more. Wherefore, therefore, I take you to record this day that I am pure from the blood of all men. For I have not shunned to declare unto you all the counsel of God. Take heed, therefore, unto yourselves and to all the flock over which the Holy Ghost hath made you to be elders. Feed the church of God, which he hath purchased with his own blood. And then this is where we pick up today. For, thy, for I know this, 
that after my departing shall grievous wolves enter in among you, and will not spare the flock. Also of your own selves shall men arise speaking perverse things, to draw away disciples after them. The word grievous, um, if you look that up, literally uh, means weighty. Uh, verse number 29, the word grievous uh, speaks of weight, burdensome, grave, heavy, weightier. In other words, what Paul is saying is that they will be very dangerous, so much that they would not be easily resisted. Um, Barnes, uh, Albert Barnes, I, I, in Esword, there's some commentaries. I love uh, Albert Barnes and E.W. Bullinger. Uh, both those guys are, are very solid. Um, Albert Barnes is definitely a dispensationalist. Um, Bullinger, more of, more of a mid-axe uh, dispensationalist. Um, I would highly encourage those two guys. Um, Barnes uh, points out um, that the term wolves is used to denote enemies of the flock because hypocritical and dangerous teachers, just like were referred to in Matthew ten sixteen, Behold, I send you forth as sheep in the midst of wolves. Be ye therefore wise as serpents and harmless as doves. Now, I've told you guys previously that I've really learned to watch my vocabulary. Uh, I believe the word flock is always referring to um, Israel. Specifically, Peter's little flock. I'm becoming. I'm coming to believe that more and more and more. Um, and um, you know, I'm just very careful with my language. Um, I can't remember if it was in this study or in my next study. I talk about those words. Um, must have been in my last study how that Paul never used the term, Paul never used the word, the term flock, Paul never used the, the term sheep or shepherd. Um, those are kingdom terms. Those are terms for the nation of Israel. And Paul knew, because he's talking to, I believe, the Ephesian church, a predominantly Jewish congregation here, that they were going to be attacked after he left, but not from the outside, but from within. He's referring to unbelieving Jews. If you read Catholic history especially, um, they really group the entire Jewish nation as unbelieving. Um, and therefore they demonized them as a nation, which led to anti-Semitism, uh, which is predominant to this day, by the way, among the, the Roman Catholic Church. Um, and I believe... Reformed theology lends itself to anti-Semitism. Uh, if you study um, some of the, the Protestant fathers, um, Protestant Reformation fathers, almost all of them were very anti-Semitic. And again, it's just that whole thing that the Jews rejected their Messiah. Well, not all the Jews rejected their Messiah. Again, it's not rightly dividing the word of truth is the problem. Um, many of the Jews did accept the kingdom gospel. However, the kingdom gospel was for the entire nation, not just for a few. The entire nation had to 
uh, repent and be baptized. Um, so again, I, I, I think that has that is the result of not rightly dividing the word of truth. Uh, because not all Gentiles have accepted the Messiah under the grace gospel. Um, so again, I think the fruit of that has been anti-Semitism uh, that we see today. And then notice also the words enter in among you. Uh, again, seem to imply that this would not be a full frontal assault, but an infiltration. It would be an infiltration that would take place. Um, they enter, they sit, they greet, they smile. Um, but it's it's an infiltration. Let me see something that almost looks like. Um, let's see if I'm... There I am, okay. Almost looked like I had gotten disconnected, but I'm not. Um, there's an infiltration that takes place. They come from within. And I have no doubt that this is the case when it comes to church life as that it usually comes from within. I have pastored, and I'm sure you've pastored. Um, the majority of my troubles did not come from the world. The majority of my troubles as a pastor did not come from the city in which I pastored or the city council or the mayor. Uh, the majority of troubles that I had came from within. Um, because, you know, there's an old expression, uh, no one can hurt you uh, like friends. No one can hurt you like family. <laughs> Why? Because you allow them to get close. Um, you allow them to get close. And we've talked about how, you know, the nation is referred to as sheep. Um, sheep, you allow them to get close. They're cute and they're fuzzy. And um, you think they won't hurt you, uh, but they are certainly perfectly able uh, to hurt you. Um, I sent a picture the other day of a sheep's mouth, how that they have these incisors on the front, and then they have a gap, and then they have molars in the back. So the incisors are for, to, you know, to pull up the grass, and then, of course, it's taken to the back, and the molars dispose of it. But you don't, a, a sheep and a wolf are two different animals. So it's, it comes as a shock when, when sheep bear teeth. Um, so, um, now, that word subvert is an interesting word. Peter uses that word, subverting the hearers. Um, and it literally means to undermine. Uh, it means to undermine. Um, and notice that it says, again, they speak perverse things um, to draw away disciples after themselves. In other words, this is a deliberate act that or misinterpret. And, of course, it's done purposely. Um, many today, I believe the church today is simply not teaching doctrine and that makes this so much easier. Um, people just do not know what they believe. So, you know, the answer to everything in the church today seems to be love. You know, I mean, just, uh, well, you got to love them. Yeah, you do have to love them. You know, I can, I can tolerate you without accepting you. You know what I mean? I can I can tolerate you without approving of what you're doing. Um, and today, what they want is approval. They don't want to be tolerated. They want to be approved. Um, and so many young people, especially, have went down this road. Uh, when and when it comes to some of these societal ills that we are dealing with today, um, 
And the reason they're running down these paths is because of doctrine. They simply do not know their Bibles. Um, and it, it's just it's just a shame. One pastor put it this way that I read. I read his testimony. Uh, and he was he had come to a mid-Acts view of the Scripture. And uh, he said, even though I had been reared in a denominational church, I eventually realized that I had been taught very little doctrine. I had been taught about my Baptist religion, um, that Christ died for my sins, uh, sin in my life would keep me from having a good relationship with God, to attend church regularly, to abstain from doing many things, don't smoke, don't chew, don't go with girls that do. <laughs> we used to say that when I was young in South Carolina, to give my tithes and, and to witness to the lost, uh, all of these things were supposed to make me a better Baptist, a better Christian. Furthermore, I had not been taught how to study the unique ministry of Paul, uh, the mystery, the body of Christ, the difference between the gospel Peter preached and the gospel Paul preached. Um, and that was the turning point in my ministry after, whatever, 30 years of ministry was just coming to the realize, realization these two guys taught two different Gospels. And no, they didn't mesh as one. You know, I mean, they were two different Gospels. I mean, it is clear that Peter and the Eleven went to the circumcised, why Paul went to the uncircumcised with two different Gospels. That there were different, different inheritances. Uh, the kingdom is, is an earthly inheritance that has nothing to do with the body of Christ. So, you know, we need to stay away from that kind of language. And heavenly promises are that have everything to do with, with the, the body of Christ. And then how to rightly divide the word of truth. And again, rightly dividing the word of truth, there's no error in the Bible. It's all truth. And you have to know how to rightly divide truth from truth. Uh, again, who's talking? Who are they talking to? And what do they understand being said? So if he wasn't talking to you, <laughs> there's a book out called He Was Not Talking to You. Uh, it's very good. I forget who it's by, but it's, a, <clears throat> it's on right division. <clears throat> very good book. And he said, therefore, watch <clears throat> and remember that by the space of three years, I cease not to warn every one of you night and day with tears. So in, in lieu of these wolves that will come, you need to watch and you need to remember. You need to watch for them. Keep your eye on them, spot them, and remember what I taught you in regards to what they will do when they come. And the bottom line is in, is you need to be on wolf watch. <clears throat> um, and I, I think I shared with you, there was a, years ago I heard a preacher named uh, Dr. Rodney Brown. So that was his name, Rodney, not Howard, not Rodney Howard Brown. Uh, this was Dr. Rodney Brown. He was in the, uh, a Baptist. Uh, he preached a sermon on uh, blowing the whistle on the wolves, and that was the name of it. Matter of fact, I'm sure if you Googled that, it would probably come up. Um, but anyway, he had a friend that went and studied wolves. And you know that everything in nature, uh, for example, this is kind of weird, everything in nature is in a major chord, A, B, C, D, F, G, everything, every sound in nature, a babbling brook, a... Uh, you know, everything is in a major chord except a wolf's howl. A wolf's howl is actually in a minor chord. And that's why it sounds so creepy. 
when we hear it because it's not natural. Um, then he goes into how wolves uh, function, how wolves behave in the pack. Uh, wolves are, are, are led by an akela, A-K-E-L-A, an akela. And the akela fought to get to that position and probably killed uh, the previous akela to get to that position. Um, the akela's behavior uh, is strange. Um, he lays up. They call him layups. He doesn't sleep down among the other wolves. He's always laying up so that he can see them. And this is a, a, a protective behavior because somebody else wants his job. There's some buck uh, in, that, uh, in that pack that wants his job. Uh, so he, he always uh, is facing the, uh, the pack, and he always, he's always laid up looking over the pack. Now, we look at that, oh, he's protecting the pack. He's just trying to see afar, you know, to see any danger that may be coming. Um, this guy says that's not his motivation at all. It, it's it's pr pretty much selfish. Um, and then he talked about how that when a wolf is leading the pack, the wolf is out front, the akela, and he's always cutting his head to the left and the right. And, you, you know, and, and on the outside, you think, well, he's just uh, he's just uh, making sure everybody's still behind him. Uh, but they found out, no, there is a dominant female uh, in the pack that he is taking his cues from. And, of course, Dr. Brown builds a whole sermon on how this is in the church. Uh, wolves. Uh, you can tell they're wolves uh, because um, they uh, separate themselves from others. Um, they don't go to others. Others come to them. They start getting a little group around them. And, of course, they're beginning to pervert, subvert the hearers. Uh, and then he talks about how they, <clears throat> that something <clears throat> in the heart of the shepherd, something is just wrong. You know <clears throat> that something's wrong here. Something doesn't set right. When I pastored, I think our wives have an ability, uh, a a discernment that that we guys don't always have, and my wife would uh, would give me a sign sometimes if she felt uh, that someone I needed to be careful around because you know guys we just tend to take that face value. Looks like a nice guy, you know, blah blah blah. But but women have the ability, you know, to kind of look beyond that, and she would give me a warning. Um, and she would give me this little wolf ears. <laughs> um, and, uh, you know, after you've been bitten several times, uh, you, you set up a wolf watch uh, with the men in the church. Uh, and, and wolves can be male or female. And, uh, but he, he talks about these wolves, how they come in. And, you know, the only way you can deal with them is head on. If you don't, they're going to continue to subvert and pervert the hearers. And that's what Paul is warning them of here. Um, Time-wise, Paul spent more time with the Ephesians than any other group in his ministry. And again, he says, during that whole time, I cease not to warn every one of you night and day with tears. And to warn, what, what would he be warning them about? Uh, he's warning them that after his departure, grievous wolves would come in and subvert. They would uh, hurt um, the flock. 
Uh, and the word warn means to set in place, to put in mind, to cause, caution, reprove, and admonish. And that's what Paul was doing. Uh, and then he says in verse number 32, um, and now, brethren, I can only commend you to God. You know, isn't that the truth? I mean, I mean, even with their own children, um, at some point, you're just going to have to commend them to God uh, and, to the, and to the word of his grace. Uh, which is able to build you up and to give you an inheritance among all them uh, that are sanctified. So Paul commends them to God and to the word of his grace for two reasons, that it might build them up. Uh, that word build up means to edify. It's where we get the word edifice or an edification, a fortress. Um, he says, I'm going to commend you to God and to the word of his grace to build you up and to give you an inheritance among all them that are sanctified. Now, again, I believe the context is Jewish, uh, to whom the inheritance will be given. Remember that the Jews are the heirs of the covenants of promise, not the Gentiles. Uh, we are not covenant people. Um, we are not kingdom people, and we are not covenant people. And how many ministries do you know with the names covenant and kingdom in it? And again, I just believe it's not rightly dividing the word of truth. Uh, it uh, is basically replacement theology. Uh, I don't call it a brazen replacement theology. It's more of a passive, uh, soft replacement theology. I mean, really, anybody who says the church was born in Acts chapter 2 is embracing a, a replacement theology, that God gave up the Jews because they crucified the Messiah, and now he's giving everything to the Gentile. Um, and I, I've just learned over the years, a long time, uh, to reject that. Um, now notice verse number 33. I have coveted no man's silver or gold or apparel. Paul is saying that he did not do it for the silver or the gold. Um, we see this all throughout Paul's ministry. Uh, in 2 Corinthians 12, 14, Behold the time, the third time I'm ready to come unto you, and I will not be burdensome to you. For I do not seek um, yours, but you. Uh, so Paul, as we know, Paul used his tent-making skills uh, to, um, to support himself so that he would not be burdensome to the people that he was ministering to. In 1 Corinthians 9, 12, if others be partakers of this power over you, are not we rather? Nevertheless, we have not used this power, but suffer all things lest we should hinder the gospel of Christ. Uh, do you not know that they which minister about holy things live of the things of the temple, and they that wait at the altar are partakers with the altar? And of course, he's referring back in the Old Testament, the Levites and the sons of Aaron ministered, and they lived off of uh, the temple. The sacrifices, portions of the sacrifices were given to them because they didn't own land like everybody else did. They lived off of uh, you know, the generosity of God's people. And Paul is saying, I had every right to do that, and every minister today has a right to do that. Uh, um, but he says, I didn't do that um, as I could have. Um, but then notice Paul also says, apparel. You know, I did not do it for the silver, I didn't do it for the gold, and I didn't do it for the apparel. Um, Bullinger says that the apparel expresses stateliness more so than humation. 
which is a type of clothing that was worn by the ancient Greeks. You ever heard the expression, clothing makes the man? Uh, Paul says, I, I, didn't, I didn't do it for the money. I didn't do it for the, for the suits. Um, I, you know, I just, I did it because I wanted to minister to you. Um, and then notice in verse number 34, Yea, ye yourselves know that these hands have ministered unto my own necessities um, and to them that were with me. And, of course, we know that Paul did. Paul was a tent maker. Um, and Paul used those tent making skills that he had learned from his father uh, throughout the the, uh, the scriptures in Acts 18.3. And because he was of the same craft, he abode with them. For by occupation, they were tent makers. We see that in Corinthians and, and, and labor working with their own hands. Um, and in Thessalonians, but you remember, brother, in our labor and travail for laboring night and day, because we would not be chargeable unto any of you, we preached unto you the gospel of God. So Paul lived of his own hands. He didn't rely on them because he felt that it would be a hindrance to them. Um, and then verse 35, and I have showed you all things, how that so laboring ye ought to support the weak and remember the words of our Lord Jesus, how he said it is more blessed to give than to receive. Um, so Paul says that he has shown them not only by instruction, but by his example, all things. And again, I mean, you got to look in the context here. I believe he's referring to the fact that he supported himself through his trade instead of relying on others to support him so that he could minister to them without charge. And then he says, it's more blessed to give than to receive. Um, Paul is the only one that uses these words. I, I haven't found these words in the gospel, but they're read. Um, the words of our Lord Jesus, it's more blessed to give than to receive. Um, doesn't mean he didn't say it. I'm sure Jesus said a lot of things that are not recorded in the New Testament or in the gospels. Um See, I even have to watch the word New Testament <laughs> uh, because we're not in the New Covenant. Uh, we're not under the New Testament as far as I'm concerned. Uh, it was offered. It was rejected. Um, so Paul says it's, it's more blessed to give than to receive. And when he had thus spoken, he kneeled down and prayed with them all. And they all wept sore. They fell on Paul's neck. They kissed him sorrowing most of all for the words which he spake, that he sh they should see his face no more, and they accompanied him to the ship. Now, obviously, there was a tremendous love, there was a tremendous bond between Paul and the Ephesians, and especially these Ephesian elders here. Uh, and remember, back up in the previous uh, verses in 22-25, I mean, he told them, I'm going bound in the Spirit, not knowing the things that will befall me there, but I do know uh, that afflictions and bonds are going to await me. Um, and he says, he told him in verse number 25, and behold, I, I know that ye all among whom I've been preaching the kingdom of God shall see my face no more. So Paul, he knows this is his final departure. He knows something in his spirit's telling him he's going to Jerusalem. He's going to end up in Rome. Um, it would be his brethren uh, that would do this to him. Um, why? Because of what Paul preached was an indictment against them. Once he got to Jerusalem, he knew what was going to happen uh, when he got to Jerusalem. He knew what was going to be awaiting him 
in Jerusalem. And again, it was the unbelieving Jews. But now again, the, the Roman church takes this, turns it on its head, says it was all the Jews that were after Paul. It wasn't all the Jews. It was just the unbelieving Jews. Um, Barnes points out three things in regards to these verses. Uh, the parting of ministers and people is a most solemn event and should be one of tenderness and affection. It's hard to say goodbye. Uh, even when you want to say goodbye, even when you know it's time to say goodbye. I've made some of the best friends in my life in ministry, and I have made some of the worst enemies in my life in ministry. Um, it, it's, a, it's, a, uh, it's a solemn event to say goodbye. Uh, the effect of true religion is to make the heart more tender, to make friendships more affectionate and sacred, and to unite more closely the bonds of love, Barnes says. And that's true. You are closer, I am closer to my bio, to my spiritual family than I am my own biological family because I have more in common with my spiritual family than I do my biological family in many, in many respects. And then he says ministers of the gospel should be prepared to leave their people with the same consciousness of fidelity, faithfulness, and the same kindness which Paul showed. And it's true. We need to be prepared because they're his people. They're not our people. It's his church. It's not my church. It's his ministry. It's not my ministry. And he can move me any way he wants me to go. And he loves them more than I do. And he'll take care of them. Um. So he says, so when we part, we need to separate in peace. And so living and acting, they will be prepared to give up their account with joy and not with grief. And that's true. Well, you've heard the expression, uh, um, some people bless us uh, more so by leaving than they did by coming. <laughs> but uh, we need to be prepared to leave. And then notice verse number 21, or chapter number 21. And it came to pass after they, after that we were gotten from them and had launched, we came with a straight course from coast and the day following to Rhodes, and from thence to Patara. And finding a ship, we sailed over to Phoenicia, and we went aboard, and we set forth. You're going to see a lot of navigational, just Paul giving a, giving a, uh, a Google Maps account of where he's gone and, and where he's going. So he leaves the elders of Ephesus, and he's trying to make his way toward Jerusalem. And now when we had discovered Cyprus, uh, we left it on the left hand. Of course, he's talking about as he's on a ship, and we sailed to Syria, and we landed at Tyre, for there the ship was unlaid of her burden. And finding disciples there, we tarried there seven days, who said to Paul, through the Spirit, that he should not go to Jerusalem. And when he had accomplished those days, we departed and went our way. And they all brought us on our way with wives and children till we were out of the city, and we kneeled down on the shore, and we prayed. So these disciples that Paul met, uh, warned Paul through the Spirit that he should not go to Jerusalem. Now, some will point to this, you know, those Bible correctors that say, you know, Peter got ahead of himself on Pentecost and he shouldn't have, shouldn't have, shouldn't have chose Matthias, he should have waited for Paul, you know that group. Um, they will say that Paul should have never went to Jerusalem. Um, and see there right here, this verse proves it. Um, he is being warned not to go to Jerusalem, and he's going to be warned again down uh, by Agabus, and he was warned up in, in chapter number 20. I, I don't believe that Paul 
I believe Paul went to Jerusalem because God told him to go to Jerusalem. Uh, he is just being warned of what's going to await him there when he does go. And I believe this is the case. Uh, if, if we do what we believe that God wants us to do, regardless of what others say, they were warning him of what was going to be there. And I think out of emotion, this group said, don't go. You shouldn't go. You shouldn't go to Jerusalem. Well, it's not saying there that the Spirit told them not not to go to Jerusalem. It's saying that they were afraid of what was going to happen because when we get down in with Agabus, Agabus tells him, this is what you're walking into. And we see that Paul was led of the Holy Spirit to go to Jerusalem. So there's not a contradiction here at all. Um, uh, they were clearly led by the Spirit in what awaited Paul. But apparently, it is what God wanted for Paul. I mean, we can be warned of what we know God is going to do. Uh, we can prepare ourselves, but we still got to be obedient. In the end, we have to do what God tells us to do. Um, I'm reminded of uh, a story that out of uh, 1 Kings chapter number 13, um, I call it the old prophet and the young prophet. Uh, Behold, there came a man of God out of Judah uh, by the word of the Lord unto Bethel, and Jeroboam stood on the altar to burn incense. So we, we have this, this young prophet here. Um, he comes out of Judah by the word of the Lord. The Lord told him to go to Bethel, and Jeroboam, king, is standing there. And he cried against the altar in the word of the Lord and said, O altar, altar, thus saith the Lord, behold, a child shall be born into the house of David, Josiah by name, and upon thee shall he offer the priests in the high places that burn incense upon thee, and men's bones shall be burnt upon thee. So he's given a warning by the word of the Lord. And he gave a sign the same day, saying, This is the sign which the Lord has spoken. Behold, the altar shall be rent, and the ashes that are upon it shall be poured out. So he gives his prophecy, he, he utters what God tells him to say, and then it came to pass, when King Jeroboam heard the saying of the man of God, he cried against the altar at Bethel, which he had cried against the altar at Bethel, that he put forth his hand from the altar and said, lay hold of him. And his hand, which he put forth against him, dried up so that he could not pull it in again. And the altar was rent. And the ashes were poured out. It's immediately fulfilled uh, from the altar according to the sign that the, that the man of God had given by the word of the Lord. And the king answered and said unto the man of God, Entreat now the face of the Lord thy God and pray for me. You know, he's kind of pulling a Pharaoh here. Uh, he wants him to pray for him so that he'll heal his, his hand. Uh, pray for me that my hand may be restored to me again. And the man of God besought the Lord and the king's hand was restored unto him and became as it was before. And the king said unto the man of God, Come home with me and refresh thyself, and I will give thee a reward. And the man of God said unto the king, If you were to give me half your house, I wouldn't go with you. Neither would I eat any of your bread, and neither would I drink any water in this place. Why? Because the Lord charged me, saying, Eat no bread, nor drink water, nor turn again by the same way that thou camest. So he went another way and returned not the way that he came to Bethel. So he said, I'm not going to eat with you. I'm not going to drink with you. I'm not going to stay with you. Matter of fact, I'm going to exit this place a different way than I came because the Lord told me. Well, look what happens. He's going to disobey God. Why is he going to disobey God? Because he's going to listen to somebody else. Now, there dwelt an old prophet in Bethel, and his sons came and told him all the works that the man of God had done. 
that day in Bethel, and the words that he had spoken unto the king, and them that them they told also to his father, and their, to their father. And the father said unto them, Where did he go? For his sons had seen what way the man of God had went, which came from Judah. And he said unto his son, Saddle me the ass. So he saddled him the ass, and he rode thereon, and he went after the man of God, and he found him sitting under an oak. And he said unto you, Are you the man of God that came from Judah? And he said, I am. And then he said unto him, Come home with me and eat some bread. He's asking him to do the exact same thing that King Jeroboam had told him to do. And he told him, I can't do that. But, And then he turns around and he tells the old man, Well, I, I can't return with thee, nor go with thee, neither will I eat bread or drink water with thee in this place. Why? For it was said to me by the word of the Lord, Thou shalt eat no bread nor drink water there, nor turn again, or go by the way thou camest. And he said unto him, but I'm a prophet as you are. Okay? And an angel spake unto me by the word of the Lord, saying, Bring him back with thee into thine house, that he may eat bread and drink water. But he lied to him. You see, you got to do what God tells you to do, regardless of what others are saying around you. And that's exactly where this young prophet messed up. Um, I've, I've known many a preacher, and I was a young preacher, that heeded what older preachers told me over what God had told me. And it cost me when I did things like that. So he went back with him. He ate bread in his house and a drink. And it came to pass, lo and behold, that the word of the Lord came unto the prophet that brought him back and said unto the man of God that came from Judah, saying, Thus saith the Lord, for as much as thou hast disobeyed the mouth of the Lord and not kept the commandment which the Lord thy God commanded thee, but camest back and has eaten bread and drank water in this place, which the Lord said unto you, you should eat no bread, you should drink no water, thy carcass shall not come unto the sepulcher of thy fathers. That ended badly. And it came to pass after he had eaten bread and after he had drunk and saddled for him his ass to wit, for the prophet whom he had brought back. And when he was gone, a lion met him by the way, slew him. And notice, and his carcass was cast in the way, and the, the ass stood by the carcass, and the lion stood by the carcass. That's not natural. That was God uh, punishing the young prophet for not being completely obedient. We need to be obedient. And that's what Paul was being. He was being obedient regardless of what he was being told. Uh, regardless of what these guys were saying. He knew he had to go to Jerusalem. Um, if what someone else tells you contradicts what God has told you, you go with God, not someone else. And notice he says, And when he had taken, uh, when we had taken leave of one another, we took ship and returned home again. And when we had finished the course from Tyre, we came to Ptolemais, and we saluted the brethren that abode the, and abode there one day. And the next day we were of Paul's company departed, and we came into Caesarea, and we entered in the house of Philip the Evangelist, which was one of the seven and abode with him. Now remember, this is Philip who was selected to be a deacon in Acts chapter number six, uh, and he's an evangelist. Uh, he's the same Philip that ran and ministered to the Ethiopian eunuch on the road to Gaza in Acts chapter number eight. And this same man had four daughters. They were virgins, and they did prophesy. Um, and again, remember, I mean, we are still under the offer of the kingdom. The sign gifts are still very much in effect. We're, we're around seven sixty A.D. 
I I personally don't believe, um, and and there's disagreement over this, and you're going to have to arrive at your own deal. You know, First uh, Corinthians thirteen eight, charity never fails, but whether there be prophecies, they will fail. So they will fail, and whether there be tongues, they will cease, and whether there be knowledge, it shall vanish away. I mean, um, and then of course, if you read there. Um, for right now, we know in part, we prophesy in part, but when that which is perfect has come, then all of this stuff will be done away. Um, you know, and there's there's disagreement over what that says. Um, we do know that that which is perfect, it's neither male nor female, it's it's neuter. Um, so the two predominant translate interpretations is it's referring to that which is perfect has come is referring to the kingdom. Once the kingdom comes, of course, those who want to embrace um, the gifts, you know, the sign gifts will say that's what he's talking about. Or that which is perfect is Jesus. So when Jesus comes, you know, the second coming, then, you know, again, those who translate it that way will, will probably lean more toward the charismatic side of the house, the Pentecostal side of the house. Or it could mean the word of God, when that which is perfect has come. Paul could be referring to revelation. Once the revelation has been fulfilled, and Paul did receive revelation a little bit at a time. He, 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 he had revelations. And many believe that once Paul had arrived in Rome and he had penned his prison epistles, that was it. The canon was basically closed, you know, that Paul's revelation to the body of Christ was complete. Um, um, so I, you know, I, I am tending to lean in that direction now. Um, but, you know, I'm not going to start a church or a movement over it. Uh, but I do believe that the sign gifts that were given as per Joel 2.28 was to the nation of Israel. And once Israel had rejected the kingdom, I believe those gifts were no longer needed. Those gifts were for Jews. The Jews demand a sign. The Greeks demand wisdom. I believe they were to the Jewish nation. And to interpret it otherwise is, of course, is to take that Acts 2 position and, you know, again, put yourself under the blessings of the nation of Israel. It's interesting, you know, we're, we're very uh, quick to put ourselves under the blessings of Israel, but we're not very quick to put ourselves under the cursings of Israel. <laughs> you ever notice that? Um, yeah, we're not physical Israel. You know, we're the spiritual Israel. Um, and then notice in verse number 10, And as we tarried there many days, there came down from Judea a certain prophet named Agabus. And when he was coming to us, he took Paul's girdle and bound his own uh, hands and feet, and said, Thus saith the Holy Ghost, So shall the Jews at Jerusalem bind the man that owns his girdle, and shall deliver him into the hands of the Gentiles. Now, here another prophet is warning Paul about going to Jerusalem. But he wasn't telling Paul anything he didn't already know. Some people identify this Agabus as the same one mentioned um, in Acts eleven twenty eight, And there stood one of them named Agabus, and signified by the Spirit that there would be a great dearth throughout all the world, which came to pass in the days of Claudius Caesar. Um, notice that his message to Paul is simply, this is what's going to happen to you when you go to Jerusalem. So obviously, Paul had to go for this to happen. <laughs> um, and then notice in verse number 12, and when he had heard these things, Paul, 
both both we, of course, the we there is, you know, uh, Luke is writing in the first person. And when we had heard these things, both we and they of that place besought him, Paul, to not go to Jerusalem. I mean, they were still trying to, even Luke's involved in it, don't go to Jerusalem. And then Paul answered, what mean ye to weep and to break my heart? For I am ready to be bound only. I am ready not to be bound only, but to die at Jerusalem for the name of the Lord Jesus. And when he would not be persuaded, we ceased saying the will, and we ceased saying the will of the Lord be done. You got to really watch that punctuation there, don't you? Because you could read that, and when he had, when and when he would not be persuaded, we cease saying the will of the Lord be done. That doesn't read the same as when he would not when he, he would not be persuaded. We ceased, in other words, we stopped begging him not to go, and said, "The will of the Lord be done." Punctuation is important, <laughs> um, so. <clears throat> It's obvious that Paul did the right thing because in Acts 23, 11, in the night following, the Lord stood by him and said, Be of good cheer, Paul, for as thou hast testified of me in Jerusalem, so you must bear witness also at Rome. So the Lord <clears throat> blessed him for testifying in Jerusalem. So Paul was definitely following the Lord and he was in the will of God. So, um, that ends our um, our session today, session number 34. And um, let's see. So next time uh, we get together, uh, we will, uh, let's see, where did we, where do we end up here? Session 2414. So yeah. Uh, and then we're going to end up, Paul is going to visit James. There you go. That's going to be interesting. Uh, we'll talk about that next time. So God bless you. Hope you have a great day. Brother Scott, it sure is good to see you, brother. And I hope you have a great day in the Lord. And um, and I'll see you Tuesday morning, Lord willing, uh, 6.30 a.m. Tuesday through Friday, 6.30 a.m. every morning. And then we'll go through the whole thing again Sunday mornings, 8 o'clock. And um, hope you have a great, great weekend. God bless you guys.